Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Weekly Scramble, a place where we chat about life over a cold one or two. It's time to belly up to the pod with Mike Fratelloni and your host, Chris Reavers. That's right. It's time for the Weekly Scramble. However, it is a sad episode because it's the last time we're going to talk about amateur baseball in the state of Minnesota for the calendar year of 2022. My name is Chris Reavers. Mike Fredoloni not on this particular episode, but my good buddy Jeremy Stender is with us once again. Jeremy, it's a sad episode, isn't it? We're talking about the conclusion of the amateur baseball season. It sure is, man. What are we going to do for eight months? I don't what know. What are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do? Your whole life has been centered around the last three weekends for, for the last year. And uh, for the last three years, for that matter, you've always been thinking about it. It's just, yeah, it's always sad when we put it to bed. But, um, you know, luckily winter always goes by so fast in Minnesota. So we know it's going to come again, right? You know, it's funny you say that because uh, on Tuesday, I actually took the day off of work just to kind of get the kids back into school. We had a little bit of orientation um, at elementary school for the boys and then, my wife just looked at me and said, well, now what? And I said, I don't know. But it's funny. I'm leaving football practice. My boy, my, my oldest son plays for the fifth and sixth grade Jordan Hubman football team. And as I'm leaving the parking lot with him at around 730 uh, Tuesday night, I see Scott Hollingsworth, Jordan uh, Brewer's uh, star, uh, Scott Hollingsworth. And he pulls up. He says, so now what? And I said, well, you know, just kind of wind it. I goes, ah, don't worry. In two years, you get to help us host it with Bell Plan. I said, oh, my God, that's right. So, yeah, I get this next summer out, but then I'm going to be helping out the brew, the brew crew probably in, in two years when they host it with, uh, with Bell Plain and, uh, and Green Isle. So it's going to be right around the corner again. It won't, it won't be long. Hey, you know, before we get into it, I, I mean, a shout-out to you guys in Faribault, to Dundas, to Meesville. I mean, it was, it was great. It, it was just so much fun the last three weekends. And, you know, obviously the baseball was great, but the parks were great. You guys – we're forced to battle adversity, um, and, and you just came through with flying colors. It was awesome. I enjoyed my time at all three parks. Uh, it was just fun, and, you know, for me, the last night was Sunday, and, you know, you and I had a, a beverage or two just kind of, you know, taking it all in, and it's just that finality, right? When, yep. it's, when it's over, it, it kind of hits you, and, you know, driving home on Sunday night with Chris Dahman, we were both kind of – well, okay, it's time to be done. But you kind of give your, your body like 48 to 72 hours to recharge, and now it's kind of like, well, what am I going to do with myself? Right, right? exactly. So 
Uh, but yeah, no, great job to you guys. It was just great. Um, it, it was so much. I'd never been to Bellfield before. I'd never been to Memorial Park and done this. Had so much fun. Loved the facilities. Um, you, you guys hit it out of the park, no pun intended. You know, and I'm glad you said that because honestly, I had so many people come up to me and just saying the same thing you did. I've never been to Faribault before. I've never seen your ballpark before. And just a lot of compliments. And obviously, there's things that you're just not going to be prepared for when you're hosting a tournament of this size. And I was just happy for so many other things. You know, I was happy for my hometown. I was happy for so many of the businesses that stepped up to the plate and helped sponsor our tournament so that we could get all of the things taken care of. And yeah, we're still kind of winding stuff down with bills here and payments there and things of that nature. But it was fun for me just because it was a ballpark I've played on since I was in sixth grade, for crying out loud. And for other people to finally get to experience the ballpark for the first time, that just meant a lot to me personally, just because I knew what a hidden gem Bell Field was in Fairbowl. And yeah, it did. It took a lot of blood, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. And I'll, I, I mean, honest to God, I was asked to do the, the ceremonies after the conclusion of the championship game, I don't know, around 3.30 or 4 o'clock, whatever it was. And I'm Jeremy, I'm standing there at the microphone in front of the entire state board about to introduce President Mark Forsman. And I'm thinking, how in God's name do I start thanking people? Because I would have been up there for three days thanking as many people as we needed to. And that was the toughest part for me is how do I even begin to thank people for for everything that's that's happened over the last couple of years to to really to pull this thing off? You know, I I think you have. And I think part of it you just did, but I think that Throughout this whole process, it's, you know, it, it's thank you. It, whether it's thank you for coming to our park and checking it out if you haven't been here. You know, thanks to the so many businesses. You know, I yep. did it with radio, too, that, that support town ball. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. You know, thanks to the volunteers yep. who, you know, give self, selflessly, you know, for three, some of them for three weekends every day of all three weekends to, you know, business organizations, whether it's chambers that are stepping up and are being a part of it. I mean, you know, we, we you know, you and I are, are town ball rubes, as you've said many, many times. And, and a lot of people aren't, but a lot of people also understand what it means for a community. And you talked about getting a chance of field you grew up on and, and getting to bring over 18,000 people to see that field and to see the work and to see the dedication of your volunteers. It just, you know, it's, it's, I think we did this three weeks ago before the state tournament started and mm-hmm. we talked about it, but in a snap of a finger, it's going to be gone. Yep. And you know, when it's over, the tiredness is what you're thinking of most. And it's like, okay, it's over. I can kind of calm down. But then again, giving yourself that 24 to 48 hours, it's kind of like, you know, part of you almost wishes, I wish we could do it again, you know, <laughs> yep. but, and, and that's just the way that it is. And, and that's for people like us that, you know, yeah, we love it. Yeah. We get tired. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but at the end of the day, um, it's really what we love to do. It's what we love to be a part of. It's what we love about our communities and, and, and getting an opportunity, whether it's to show off your park, to, to bring coverage to other people, those are the things that we love to, to kind of tell the town ball stories. And, you know, now, you know, we, we've got about six or seven months <laughs> until we're going to start thinking about telling those stories. But 
We'll tell a few probably here over the course of the next 30 minutes or so, too. Yeah, exactly. And that's the one thing I wanted to touch on, too, was just the connections that I was able to make and the people that I was able to meet over the last month or so of all these different teams that were excited to not only just make the tournament, but play at a park that they probably have never been and might not ever play again at. And um, just we, we kind of get the atmosphere and the people and for the most part, you know, town baseball guys are just good dudes. You know, they're, they're guys like you and me that love going to the park. They love watching baseball. They love playing baseball. And then they like having a beverage afterwards to talk about the game and talk about this and that. And that was the one thing that was really enjoyable for me um, was just making these connections. And that's where I kind of want to start because, the, as you know, with a single elimination format, it gets pretty intense pretty quick once that first pitch is thrown. And, you know, like all these teams – want to fight for it but what was really neat for me was seeing after the championship game two region you know uh, two two region foes were facing each other and for them then after the long battle after the three week you know grind that is the state amateur tournament for them to pose for a picture at home plate together that is exactly what town baseball is about and I'm talking about Niswa defeating Buckman in the championship game but for both of those teams to pose together for the picture after the game was over I thought that was just awesome it is, and you know, it's easy for Niswa to do that, right? Sure, because you're the champion, so it, it takes a little bit more, and it, it just shows. It tells you a lot about the Buckman team. No kidding, um, because that's a team from your league. It's a rival. It's a team you go up against all the time. But you know, what I always love maybe the most about town ball, and people have gotten snippets just from us talking the last four weeks, is how okay, you know, the Faribault Lakers season came to an end, you became a DRS guy, right? Sure. Now it's, yep. okay, I want Region 3 to do it. And and we see it so much, too, in Region 7, you know, where you're fighting tooth and nail against someone, you know, all season long. You're getting into arguments. You're saying stuff you probably don't mean. <laughs> but then at the end of the year, it's like, well, good luck, guys. Right. You know, we got your back. You know, we're on the other side of the bracket. Let's Let's meet up Labor Day weekend, whatever. Um, you know, those are the things that are fun. And, yeah, I thought that was a, a really cool picture. And You know, kudos to Rick Grammon because I think he was the one that had said something to both managers prior to the game that said, hey, guys, win or lose, we need to get a picture of both teams at the end of this game. This is a story to tell for Region 8, for the Victory League. We got to make sure that this is one of those moments that we kind of cherish. You know, we – we got to see it in 15 out of Region 7 when Plato and Green Isle played sure. in a state tournament. Um, you know, two teams that don't particularly like each other when they're on the field, but two teams that have so much respect for each other, even on the field and off the field. And, yeah, I thought it was a great picture. It was a great – it was a fitting ending uh, to just a great three weekends to, to see Niswa and Bus, Buckman come together. Uh, and pose for that photo even though only one of the groups was happy the other was a, a little disappointed at the time <laughs> and you know there's just so many little moments that happen you know whether it's the the game that you were there covering that you know the Watertown Buckman game which you know that was an exciting game or even the championship game but so many little things happen and I got to give a shout out and you'll know his name and I can't remember his name off the top of my head but the Buckman center fielder number seven I believe he came in to close the game out also uh, yep, against Watertown yeah, Matt Couches. thank you yep. he made yep. and I'm not kidding i have played 
I don't even know how many thousands of games that I've played personally at Belfield. He made one of the single greatest catches in the outfield in the championship game. And again, it was a one-sided affair. They were up three to nothing and ultimately lost twelve to three. But he robbed the Nisswa hitter of a three-run bomb by crashing into the very top of the wall and probably broke six ribs. That was the most amazing catch I've seen at Belfield. Yeah, it, it was. You know, he, he's a player, and you know, we we talked a little bit. Last week when we were talking about Class B, about Sam Riola, you know, being a dominant pitcher for Champlin, um, but also a great hitter and being one of the best all-around players in the state, yep. uh, you know, in that class. And, and that's, that's Matt Couches. I mean, he's, he really is. I mean, he's the ignition to their offense at the top of the order. Uh, he runs like a gazelle. He gets on base. And... He can play center field. You know, Chris Dahman and I, we got to call that Buckman and Watertown game that night. And I, I, I think I said something to Chris during the broadcast. I said, Chris, you know, we've done so many games together over the years and some of the balls that were hit into the outfield. And I said, have you ever at a town ball level seen two better center fielders in calling a game? Oh, we are yeah. talking about Pat Sheeta from the Watertown Red Devils and then Matt Couches from Buckman. I mean, those two guys get to just about everything. Yep. And, you know, there, there were, you know, little flares and, and bloop singles and even some line drive singles into the gap. That's where they go to die with those two sitting out in the outfield. And, um, yeah, he, he's a special, special player. I think he played up at St. Scholastica. And, you know, he's, he's made a name for himself in the state tournament. Uh, the last three or four years prior to this year, but uh, everybody knows who Matt Couches is now if you're a, a town ball fan. He had one heck of a tournament. Yeah, no doubt. And then obviously I didn't get a chance to well, I know the scores, but I didn't get a chance to watch anything that was taking place over in Dundas. But man, they had some pretty good games over there over the course of Labor Day weekend as well. I know we were all pulling for the St. Patrick Irish because they had two of our guys on their team and obviously being a DRS team, we knew they'd draw well for the championship game as well, but we're you know we're yep. pulling for them because they're a DRS team. And Delano and and, and St. Patrick had probably one of the best games on Labor Day weekend with Delano hitting a walk off homer to win it six to five. It's just so many little storylines that took place over the holiday weekend. It was really fantastic baseball. You know, one it really was, and, and one of the things, and, and this doesn't always hold true, and it maybe didn't hold true throughout the entire weekend, but it goes back to what we talked about. You know, number one, there, there's those razor-thin margins, right? Yep. yep. Um, Niswa, we talked about it last week in the podcast, dead in the water. They're down 5-1 to Raymond. Yep. They were lucky to be playing Labor Day weekend. They, I think they scored three or four in the bottom of the ninth to walk off Raymond just to get into Labor Day weekend. Yep. But then just look at the, the group of teams and, and how often you see it in baseball where you have this really emotional win. How, how often do you win the next game? Correct. And if you look at the bracket, you'll see that. I mean, look at St. Patrick. You know, it was a Ryan Free just hit the home run, the two-run homer in the bottom of the ninth to beat Avon 5-4. to four. That's an emotional win. They come back the next day, and they fall. Yep. Um, you know, Jordan Brewer's trailing Bluffton 3-1 to one, or 1-0. One to nothing. Going into the ninth inning, they score three runs, come back the next day, it was like they just didn't have anything left in the tank. Um, you know, Dumont gets that 3-2 win over Stark where you get Stark's 
you know, the tying run thrown out at the plate to end the game. Right. And the next day they lose 13 to four, you know, Watertown has to grind out that three to two win over bird Island, who was coming off a one, nothing win the previous day in 13. Well, bird Island falls to Watertown, Watertown after that grueling win four hours later, it just didn't seem like they had enough in the tank against Buckman. So it's all of these, you know, Nisswa scored 36 runs their last three games of the tournament. They didn't need that. You right. know, they didn't really have that emotional win. And, you know, even that 10-8 win with Delano, Delano did leave the tying runner on base, but that was a 10-4 game going to the ninth inning. So it's just, you know, there's we talk about the razor-thin margins. You're going to need to get lucky at the same time. But then when you're having to play four games in one weekend, and you had that really emotional game, whether, you know, that win, you know, if it's 10 innings, if it's a, if it's a walk-off in the ninth inning, it's hard to refine that mojo sometimes. And I think that was maybe a little bit on display. Now, that's not why St. Patrick lost to Delano. That's not why Jordan lost to Nisswa or why Dumont lost to Buckman. But it's an interesting concept to kind of look at all of those teams that lost those first games on Sunday kind of had some pretty emotional wins, um, you know, the, just less than 24 hours earlier. So there's all these little things that, that play in. It's so hard to navigate a field of 48 teams and to be the last one standing at the end. No, no question about it. And, I mean, you can even go uh, take it a step further. I mean, look at – it comes down to matchups, obviously. Everybody everybody knows that. But it's those little individual performances, too, that sometimes can can get the best of, of a certain team. And it's, it's again, about matchups. Look at re- the, the Red Wing versus Bird Island game. I believe the Red Wing pitcher had a no-hitter until whatever it was, the eighth eighth inning or whatever it was. It was and, the 11th. Oh, it was. It was to the 11th. You're right. Yeah. And and they end up losing the game. And their guy could, their, their yeah. starting pitcher could not have been better. And and it's just little things like that where, yeah, they, they left a bunch of guys on base. I'm talking about Red Wing now. I think Red Wing had 22 strikeouts in that game it, it, yeah. from a hitting standpoint. And I'm thinking, I kept saying to someone, they're going to lose this game. Bird Island's going to find a way to win this game. Like, well, they're getting no hit. I'm like, I'm just telling you, I know how this is going to go. I just had a feeling that Bird Island was going to find a way to win the game, even though they were getting no hit throughout the entire <laughs> throughout the entire duration of the game. But that's that's just it. What you were saying, it comes down to you know, and especially Labor Day weekend, a lot of it depends on the type of guys that you're drafting because you have to dig deep and find arms just to get you through the tournament. Yeah, and. You know, to your point, you know, in, in talking about Red Wing, I mean, you, you know, hit a team for, for 10 and two thirds, you know, how about Bird Island? They played 34 innings of yeah. baseball and they'd only played two games uh, in the state tournament. It, it's just such a, you know, it, it's so, it's so tricky and, and, and to try and get your way through this, you know, and, and, and you get the break and like Bird Island, they win that 21 inning game, you know, the previous weekend it's like, okay, now they get a chance to regroup. And I thought they, they regrouped well. Didn't hit the ball well, mm-hmm. but I thought that they, you know, that they regrouped well because if you play a 21-inning game on Labor Day weekend in one of those first two games, there's probably about a 99% chance you're not walking out of there with a state championship because it's just too taxing you know, on the arms that you have uh, on your team. Now, people can sit and they can listen to me and they can say, well, from what he said the last three weekends, my bracket looked horrible like a lot of people's brackets but you know one thing i did say that maybe made me look smart the last three weeks i said in that red wing and bird island game i thought whatever team could get to three runs first would win well 
it only took one run, right. and they had to play 13 innings just to get there. And, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the individual awards that were handed out. And I, I had heard about him because we didn't see their very first game, but I had heard about this kid. The Mike Davison most outstanding pitcher was Josh Kingery from Bird Island. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to this stat line. And you look at his record, he didn't have an official win. Okay, big deal. He threw 22 and two-thirds innings, and his ERA was .79. That kid is a stud. Yeah, he, he's the real deal. And I think we had people saying that uh, in that game in Faribault on Saturday at 11, and I wasn't there, you can maybe yep. attest, but in that one nothing game that he was consistently, consistently, Chris, hitting 90, uh, 91 and touching 92 sometimes. Yep. And, you know, he came in and, and tried to get um, Bird Island out of a jam against Watertown the next day. And you could see it. Now, obviously, his arm wasn't where it was the day prior. And, you know, he was still throwing mid to upper 80s, I would say, with ease. But, yeah, just impressive. Kind of a diminutive guy, too. You know, he's not your traditional six foot three, six foot four power thrower. You know, we're talking about a guy who's under six feet tall, left hander. And, you know, for, for people who are listening that maybe didn't get a chance and you got to see him too, but just the perfect pitching mechanic, that beautiful left handed one, like lefties always do it better, right? Yes. Batting at the play (laughs) just looks prettier, even the pitching. And, just his mechanics so perfect, and then that ball just explodes uh, out of his arm. Um, very, very deserving of that award. Um, you know, he had an unbelievable two weekends. He went 12 in that 21 inning game. Yep. And uh, you know, against uh, Loretto, and he'll probably tell you the only mistake he made was uh, he got one over the plate to Corey Koski, and Corey Koski deposited uh, that one over the fence at Memorial Park in Dundas. But that was about uh, that was about it. Uh, he did come into a tough situation on Sunday against Watertown. And to Watertown's credit, uh, you know, they were aggressive and, and they got a couple big hits off of him with runners already on base that ended up being the difference in that game. But he is a special, special talent. Uh, the, Atwa- the Atwater Chuckers, say that real fast. They have uh, they have a good one there in that lefty Kingery. Well, to the point too, where I you know we watched their entire game the day before, and when we were the Fairbowl Laker grounds crew was right next to the first base bullpen and, and between the first base uh, dugout and the bullpen, and I remember watching him get up and come down to the bullpen. I'm thinking to myself, there's no chance he's throwing again today, is there? And sure enough, he went in, and uh, like I said, just I, I was very impressed, uh, very impressed by that kid. There's no question about it. Um, let's move on to the Fred Roof's MVP, uh, Nate Deshane Niswa Lightning. He was fantastic. He threw he threw a complete game on Sunday, and also oh by the way had three home runs in the same day. And boy, that guy's got a nice swing. And and he had a he had the big hit, I believe, that won them that game that we were mentioning earlier to come back and beat Raymond at our ballpark the weekend prior. But that uh, another another just a fantastic town baseball player and very deserving of the Fred Roofs MVP. Yeah, guy that's been around uh, for a little while, Nate Deshane, and also a guy that you know he he had like in, in one game he had Reavers and Stenders career stat line. <laughs> you know, three three home runs, eight RBIs, winning pitcher. I mean, 
what more do you ask from the guy? Um, you know, I, I believe, you know, and, I, and I'd have to go back. I know he's been a part of Nisswa teams for at least the last eight to 10 years. I think he was even a part of their team that was back in 2011 uh, that made it into the state semifinals. Um, you know, just a, you know, a special talent, you know, uh, you know, Jeremiah Pipcorn, another guy who was named to that all tournament team, you know, Chris, he's a guy that's 41 or 42 guy yeah. that was in the Cincinnati Reds organization for a long time. He might've even been the MVP of the 2011 state tournament for sock rapids. I'd have to go back and check. I know he had a monster state tournament if he wasn't, but uh, you know, those are, it seems like those are the two guys that they're kind of centered around and along with Drew Boland in that lineup, just three names that have been household names in the Class C state tournament for a long time. And, um, you know, a, a Nisswa team that, in fairness, um, we didn't talk about them. No, you're right. And it you're wasn't, right. It, it wasn't because we didn't think they were good, but we, we just didn't. You know, it was Nisswa, okay, the Victory League. Nisswa's been there a bunch. They haven't really had a run lately. So there wasn't a reason to, you know, I'll be honest with you, Chris, when we started this three weeks ago and we did this first podcast, you know, we, we, you and I and Aaron Worm all kind of talked about our eight to ten teams that we put. I don't know about you, but I know that they weren't in my eight to ten. Mine either. And yep. Yes. So you know, I was wrong there. I, I, I didn't expect that. I didn't. I didn't see it coming. But at the same time, I know what kind of baseball is played in the Victory League. I'm familiar with the Victory League, and I'm not surprised whatsoever that they went on this run. And you know, how many times do we talk about it? when you get rolling and you get hitting the way they were hitting, I mean, 14 runs, 10 runs and 12 runs, your last three games in the state tournament. Yep. That's and pretty we know impressive. Teams start, teams start running out of pitching. Yes, but still they don't run out of pitching like that. You're, you're just, you're going on adrenaline and you're hitting and you know, they found their groove. They had that tight one earlier in the weekend, got through new Alm four to two in a really good game over at Faribault Saturday night. And they kind of cruised from there. And, you know, it was scary. You almost thought in that championship game, Chris, it might go the other way because I was listening to Rick Graman's call at the beginning and Buckman puts up three right away in the first inning. And I'm like, they're your new state champ. They got nothing after that. Well, not, and, not only to mention, to, uh, so I'll back you up. I remember I, I'd gotten the teams checked in. We got all the pomp and circumstance done centering around the, you know, the, 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 the presentation for the championship game. I grabbed my golf cart. I was making rounds quick to try to get to the other side of the stadium so I could get settled in with the rest of the Laker grounds crew. And Buckman was still hitting. And I'm thinking, yeah. oh, and knowing that the Nisswa club could really hit the ball, I'm thinking, Oh, we're going to be here for a while. This we're, we're looking at a four-hour baseball game because we all knew everyone was out of pitching. So I was I was picturing something like a sixteen to thirteen baseball game after the top of the first, and also a four-hour affair. But then again, like you mentioned, they just they just weren't able to find anything, and Nisswa kind of settled in and ultimately became your state champions. Yeah, I think at one point, um, you know, I don't I think Buckman had a base runner from second through the fifth inning, and you know, and and just slowly. You know, Nisswa was putting up one and two an inning, and all of a sudden it kind of got to eight to three, and that's kind of that dangerous spot, right, where it's like you need something to go right here pretty quick because one more hit and, and this thing's out of hand, and then we saw it. It was that three-run homer, I think, in the seventh or eighth inning, and kind of, you know, the, the coffin door was shut, 
but that was just kind of the exclamation, okay, get me my hammer. We're going to close this down. But what a performance by the Lightning. Um, they, they were amazing. And, you know, a tip of the cap to them. Yep. Um, they, they, they could have been home that second weekend, and they found enough in that bottom of the ninth inning against Raymond. They walked them off. And, you know, 10 days later, they're celebrating a state championship. It's just, it's a funny game. And I, I will fully admit, and I think I even said it as much on the show when we first were introducing the, 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 the tournament as a whole, and I flat out said, there's a lot of these teams that I'm watching for the very first time. I don't know much about teams that aren't in the leagues that I'm familiar with. And I just I just played ignorant because I didn't know. I mean, I would obviously had probably seen Niswa in a tournament or so beforehand play, but I didn't know anything about their team or that league for that matter. And that's why it was kind of fun for me and why I always have always enjoyed the state tournament is you get to watch teams that you don't really know a whole heck of a lot about. And that's why, you know, even a team like Bird Island that made a decent run, I didn't know anything about them other than their managers on the state board. I didn't know anything else about uh, the Bird Island Bullfrogs. And it's just kind of fun to be able to watch some of these other teams. You know, obviously we've played Red Wing a time or two throughout the course of the last couple of years, but that's what makes this so much fun is you get these unique matchups of teams that otherwise would never play each other except for at the state amateur tournament. And, and what I love, you know, about the Victory League is, you know, we, we know about Sobieski's success the last few years. We remember the draftee from Randall last year, Caleb Strzok, yep. and, and the, the magical run that he took them on. And then the other two draftees who won two games. And, and what's unique to me always about the Victory League, and I think it's something the Victory League does better, or it, it, it's there's just more buy-in from all those guys throughout that league, is that when that region tournament is over, when they have their draft, and, and when they put all of these guys together, it's all in. You know, in a lot of leagues, you see guys. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not putting my name in the draft. Sure. You know, I've got a family at home. I've got, which is all understandable. Don't get me wrong, but it's not, in my eyes, always looking at the big picture. You know, okay, mm-hmm. well, yes, your season is over now. Your team season is over. But you still have an opportunity. Now we kind of come together as a league. And with the Victory League, I mean, we've seen it how many times now over the years from the Victory League of draftees just having these huge performances. You know, um, you know the, the, the young buyer kid, the draftee from Foley, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, he kind of saved Buckman season the first well, game of the weekend. And you know, that's they're where... down five to one to Waconia. He comes in and he just shoves for six innings, and Waconia I think gets two hits off. And that's where exactly where I was going because to the point to back you up on the buy-in factor, there was a point in the championship game because these two teams were out of the same region. There was a point where there was a Foley Jacks pitch pitcher pitching against a Foley Jacks pitcher because each of those teams had drafted guys from the same team, which I thought, I wonder how many times that's happened where two draftees from the original same team were facing each other in a championship game at one point. Yeah, it, it's pretty unique, and I, I think that that's a, that's a credit just to the culture and to the atmosphere that they've created in the Victory League. And, um, you know, Rick Grammond, I, you know, I get to have a lot of long conversations with Rick in the uh, press box, you know, whether it's in between games or waiting for one of our games to start. And I've, I've told him that's one of the things that I've always been most impressed about uh, with the Victory League is just that buy-in. You yep. know? And we're talking about when they're having, when their draft is taking place in that league, you know, there's always six or seven really quality arms to pick from. And I think it's like that 
in a lot of leagues, Chris, but I think in a lot of leagues, three or four guys are always just leaving their name out. Baseball season's over. You know, it's time for me to concentrate on my career, my family. And I get all of that. Right. You know, but, uh, you know, sometimes you just wish that you would see it a little bit more uh, in other leagues around the state where these guys bought in like they have in the Victory League. Uh, and I know we should probably turn our attention a little bit to Class B because we did crown a new champion this year, and we knew that was going to happen after the opening weekend because the Chanhassen Redbirds fell short of their fifth straight state amateur title, but the Rochester Royals were victorious on one of the most unusual winning plays you'll probably ever see in a baseball game, scoring two runs to take uh, to to win the game on a two-error play? I, I don't even know how to describe yeah. it, but uh, kudos to the Rochester Royals. Um, like I said, a new champion in Class B, winning in an unusual fashion. And I was asked at least a thousand times on Sunday, were you happy that the game ended on on Sunday, or excuse me, on Sunday night in Dundas as opposed to having it after the Class C championship in Faribault? And I thought, you know what? It would have been very cool, but it was I was okay with it ending on Sunday night, I gotta tell you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that eventually you get when you get like to the back half of one of those crazy long weekends, and that's usually maybe like when you wake up Sunday morning and it's kind of like okay, you know, we can we can fight through this three or four more games. But then when the baseball gods, you know, you're kind of prepared. Okay, one more tomorrow, and then if that goes the other way, it's like ooh, two more tomorrow. Right. So now. You know, leaving the park, you know, I'm guessing you probably got out of Faribault 5 or 6 o'clock on Monday. Now you're probably not getting out until 9 or 10 o'clock, right? So that day just becomes exponentially longer. Right. So, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, but what a great weekend, you know, in, in Class B. I, again, people know where my brackets stand. <laughs> I said last <laughs> weekend I thought Meesville was the favorite, and, you know, they got that first win uh, over Blaine, um, but then they, they, they kind of, you know, they, they lost that first game and then um, lose the second game to Champlain, and all of a sudden Meesville's out. And, you know, Rochester was the other team that we had kind of talked about. and We saw, you know, Meyer was named to the, you know, to the all-tournament team as well. And Was he the MVP in B2? I, you know, I'd, I'd have to look, but I've got to yeah. think that he was. I've got to yeah, think I, that I, he I was. Yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me, but... You know, um, you know, just a great, a, a great effort and a new, a new champion that I don't want to say nobody saw coming, but you know, as much as we talked last week about, well, who would have had Dumont and Stark playing in the quarterfinals? There weren't many. No, you know, there might have been some. There might have been some, some outlier out there who did, but there weren't many. And I don't think there were many that probably had Rochester playing Champlin in the finals too, especially knowing what we know about Meesville knowing what we knew at the time about the four-time defending state champion Chan Redbirds. Um, so just an influx of change in Class B that happened in, in a span of 12 months. And I think, one, I think it's welcome at, at the big level. Obviously, Chan's not happy about it. Meesville's probably looking at it and saying, maybe we missed an opportunity. But I think for Class B as a whole, it's refreshing, right? You know, you had four Metro mini teams playing in the final eight. Yep. Um, you had Section 3B, which is historically probably the toughest in the state, go 0-4 the first weekend. You know, so all of these different changes and all of – I mean, I just think that it, it kind of breathes life into it a little bit for Class B because a lot of people, right or wrong, had thought Class B had just become a little bit too stale, 
over the last three or four years. And that's always going to happen, right? Yep. Just like when MJ was winning tight, you know, three in a <laughs> row in the 90s, took two years off and came back and won three in a row. It's kind of like, well, it's great to witness. It's great to watch greatness. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's not really that fun because it's a little bit predictable. So I think that it was, it was a great tournament uh, for Class B. Again, I, I, I think it reinvigorates them just a little bit. And, you know, it, it, it's sad to think that we've got to wait uh, 49 weeks until we get to do this all over again. But, uh, you know, it, it's just crazy that just four months ago we were getting this whole roller coaster started. And now here we sit and we're kind of looking off into the sunset and it's like, man, now we got eight months right. until we get to do this all over again. Uh, and just to clarify, yes, Matt Meyer was both your Mike Davidson most outstanding pitcher and the Fred Roof's MVP in Class B. His line was he was 4-0, and 31 and two-thirds innings pitched with a .57 ERA. Once again, just another great baseball player in Class B. And Sam Riola was your Max Bat Maple Slugger Award from Champlin. So, yeah, again, like you said, having fresh blood is never a bad thing. Obviously, I'm a little biased because I was rooting for the Redbirds to win their fifth straight. Um, but, yeah, it, it's never a bad thing to have new blood uh, win, win a title. And, and that took place in both in both classes this year. And we should also maybe give a quick shout-out to St. Louis Park for winning the Class A championship, what, about a month ago? Uh, I forget yep. exactly when, when that took place. Um, but Class A always wraps up sooner than the uh, the Class B and C tournaments do. But yeah, it was a it was a fun couple of weeks. It was an exhausting couple of weeks. And I forget who told me this uh, a long time ago. They said, "Reavers, you're, this is going to be the most rewarding, exhausting, frustrating, and satisfying thing you'll ever be a part of." They were completely right. And then someone else said, "This is like planning somebody else's wedding for a couple of years, and you get no gifts at the end of it." But honestly, that that was also very true, and it went by in the blink of an eye, as as a lot of people told me that it was going to. But the gift truly was, and I'm not trying to get sappy here, but the gift truly was seeing the way that my hometown responded for this. It was just it was just awesome to be a part of. I was so proud of the way that the city of Faribault rallied around this, and just. I mean, people coming out of the woodwork just to, wanting to be a part of it, to volunteer. So many parents and, and young players that just wanted to be at Bell Field to go shag foul balls, to go, you know, help out in the concession stand. It was just, it was awesome, man. It was it was everything that I could have possibly hoped to, uh, it to be when we set out on this mission just a couple of years ago. You know, and, you know, I know we, we've given the kudos to Meesville. We've given the kudos to Dundas and, you know, Obviously, I know you personally. I got to know Charlie a little bit over the last couple weekends. And, you know, one of the things, and this is, if you remember that night, we were sitting over at Carboni's, and you probably were about halfway through your first busy. And <laughs> it was, I, I wanted to get one more pot shot in there quickly. But but I remember, if you remember, Joe Krieger, you know, from the state board, and he, he said one thing. He goes, if there's one thing that you think you guys could do better, what is it? And you know, it was a compliment to you and Charlie, right? Because you had your hands in everything, and he said you maybe have to do a little bit better job of just delegating. And <laughs> it goes back to the point that you just made, though, Chris. It you've planned on this for three or four years. You've put blood, sweat, and tears. And and Joel wasn't he was not mocking you. No, he was just saying he goes. You, you can't overwhelm yourself. Right. You have to overwhelm other people too. And I think that it was the ultimate compliment that he was trying to give you yeah. in that sometimes you have to scale back a little bit. You have to trust the people. And it wasn't that you didn't trust the people. It was just that you were trying so damn hard to put on the perfect show. Yeah. And 
you know, sometimes we always think that we're the ones that can do it. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, to you and Charlie, you guys just did awesome and terrible. We got treated like kings. I even managed to coax a couple beers out of you late in the <laughs> evening on Sunday. Um, it, it was just, it was awesome. I, I had so much fun over at Bell. I had fun in Meesville. I had fun in Dundas. And I can't wait for the hundredth. Oh, no doubt. Under next year. And I can't wait that I just get to sit and watch baseball and not have to worry about if the umpires are taking <laughs> care of anything else. And I, yeah, like, like you said, that that was pretty cool of what of what Joe and I, and let's let's give him a shout out too because he announced his retirement. Um, from state amateur, from the state amateur baseball board, uh, right after the conclusion of the championship game, and and well deserved because Joe's Joe's one of the really good guys in amateur baseball. He really is. He's he's a guy that I've known for a number of years since I was a young kid. He was a guy that I watched playing growing up. You know, he he played against my dad, and um, you know, on some of those great Green Isle teams of the the eighties and the nineties, and uh, you know. Joe doesn't have a mean bone in his body. You might not always agree with everything he says, and that's okay. And Joe will tell you that. Um, but Joe is, is, is always, always has an ear and is always going to listen. And if you had a complaint, that, that's what he was there for. He always said, hey, I don't mind being a sounding board for you. He goes, you need to vent. You need to go through frustrations with me or, or you have questions. You can do that. And I think that that's what people probably respected the most about Joe Again, doesn't mean you agreed with everything, right. and there's nothing wrong with that because we're not always everyone going to agree. But uh, you know, Joel has just given a lifetime to town baseball, and you know he might be stepping away from the state board. But I assure you, uh, if you go to Irish Yard in Green Isle, maybe even right now as we're doing this interview, he's probably over there doing something. Right. And Green Isle is along with Jordan and Bell Plain. We mentioned Scott Hollingsworth earlier in the segment. They're one of the hosts in 2024. You're going to see Joel quite a bit at the park, uh, you know, those three weekends too. So kudos to Joel. Uh, kudos to the whole state board. Did a great job. And, um, you know, they, they've got uh, – they, they should be very, very proud and, and looking forward uh, to a great year next year when we do uh, your number 100. No doubt about it. Well, and, and also thanks to you because I know you, you work tirelessly and, and have to say – have to have to skip out on a lot of stuff with your family too to 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 be able to be associated with amateur baseball. So thanks to you and your entire staff over there at KGLB uh, Radio that do a tremendous job of covering a lot of these games um, throughout the course of the summer. And you know I'm always listening if I'm in the car or if I'm able to download my app from wherever I'm at to be able to take in one of those games in the crow. So kudos to you guys as well. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. It's been a great three weekends. You got it. Uh, and also, thanks to everything. And uh, boy, uh, you know, I'll be texting in a couple months. Should we just do a podcast in the middle of winter because we're sick of not having baseball around? So I'll probably be tapping on you here in the, in the coming months for sure, Jeremy. You've got my number, and I'm pretty sure I'll answer if I see you calling and we're going to talk some baseball. So Fantastic. Talk to you soon, my man. All right. Thank you so much. You got it. There he goes. His name is Jeremy Stender. Follow him on social media like I do, at Jeremy Stender1. He's KGLB guy on on Twitter, and uh, he does a great job along with a lot of people like Kip Kovar, Eric Croucher, Rick Grammond, as as Jeremy was mentioning too. If you're a town baseball fan, or maybe you're just becoming a town baseball fan for the first time, um, there's a lot of really good people that do this. And 
you know, it's it's sometimes can be a little bit thankless, but it's something that we all truly, truly enjoy. And uh, once again, thank you to everybody that found their, found your way to our ballpark or maybe streamed one of the games um, on the various websites that were broadcasting the games. But uh, it was a it was a long process. It was a ton of work, and every second of it was extremely worth it. So thank you so much for tuning in to this final edition of the Weekly Scramble featuring Town Baseball. It's been a treat these last couple of weeks to be able to talk about a thing that is very near and dear to my heart, which is amateur baseball, something I've been a part of, well, since I was a teenager just coming out of high school in Fairville, Minnesota. So we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until then, cheers.